Well, good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Rob Jacobson, and I'm so glad you're here today. And I don't know if you caught the uh, moment during one of our songs earlier today where, um, where my friend Kate and her son, were, Zachary, were, were running down the aisle. And I have often thought, uh, as we talk about what it means to make room, like, that Zachary shows me Jesus' face. When he turned and looked up and said, come on, mama. Today, I just want to invite you to consider that Jesus actually is saying to you, come on. And maybe his hand is up instead of how I always see it as down. So today, I really want to just challenge our picture of Christ because I think it might need some adjustment. I know it does in my life. Because our Zacharies, they grow up. They become young men and women, beautiful young men and women, strong, independent men and women, people that uh, have their own thoughts and their own ideas. And, and we become people that stop going, oh, sure, I'll run, and start going, why don't you pay attention to me? Why can't you just listen to me? I mean, maybe you don't do that, but confession, I do, uh, or I did this week, and uh, what I realized was it all comes down to making space. See, when I make space, it's so much easier to show grace, and when I don't, well, I really don't. So that's how I come today. I come realizing that uh, There are so many distractions in our lives. I just think they get busier and busier, and I think one of the hardest things to do is to slow down, to see what's most important, and then to prioritize that. How good are you at prioritizing what's most important? I don't know if you've seen this lately, but... um, People started, you know, people walk around with phones in their pocket. I'm sure you haven't seen that before. I mean, you've seen that. But I started seeing a new phenomenon in the last two or three months. Now people not only walk around, like, holding a phone, but they have a cord that's attached to it that's stuck in their pocket. Have you seen this? Anyone else seeing this? Like, more and more people are carrying around their devices that, you know, often mean the world to them with the cord attached because they don't have enough power to get through the day, so they've got to bring power along with them. And yet, God is all-powerful and is offering this kind of a connection to us every day. And I think sometimes we miss it. If If you're not sure if you do, consider how you, or maybe someone you know, says they really love Jesus but is often like exhausted, anxious, or just really crabby. Anyone? You know anyone? You don't have to point to them. Uh, And I think it's this realization that we're so scattered, we're so busy, we're so distracted, we're so unaware or unskilled at prioritizing that we don't understand what it means to make room for what's most important. So today we want to look briefly at John 15, a story where Jesus gives to the very people who would carry on his name and his kingdom work three images 
of what happens when we make room for Christ in our life, for his presence in our life. Maybe their benefits, if you will. So this is John 15. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now you are already clean or lifted up because of the word I have spoken to you. So remain in me, and I also will remain in you. Because no, no branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into a fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. God, help us to hear your word today and have a heart to respond. So there's these instructions that Jesus is giving after he's just talked about how he's making room with his heavenly father for these disciples, that he will bring them to a place one day. And he's like, oh, how are we going to know the way? My father's house has many rooms. I am preparing rooms for you. I am making room for you. Right after he says this, he then talks about these three symbols, the vine, the branches, and the gardener. And first of all, he says, I am the true vine. That Jesus, when he says this, is making a very declarative statement. John has actually centered his whole book around Jesus' I am statements because the I am was the first name that God gave to the birth of Israel, to Moses, the leader who would bring God's people out really before they even knew what it meant to be God's people. He said, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. It was this active, ever-changing verb. That's who God is. He's always on the move. And so he says, I am is with you. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. And his last statement is, I am the true vine. Now, this, whenever Jesus makes one of these I am statements, he's doing two things, one of two things. He's either, one, declaring and identifying himself as God, or two, he is identifying himself as God's people should be, but aren't. And this would have been a direct confrontation to the people of God because the vine was their national symbol. They put the vine on the coins they minted about 150 years before Jesus was born. They put a golden vine and decorated the temple with it. They loved the vine image. They had psalms declaring the vine, uh, Psalm 80. 
You transplanted a vine from Egypt, and you drove out the nations and planted it. Isaiah the prophet says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delights in. I, I would say that the Jewish people loved and cherished the symbol of the vine more than the United States loves and cherishes the stars and stripes. I mean, that's how much they identify with this. However, every image that the Old Testament prophets use when referencing the vine is used negatively with the people of God. For example, uh, Jeremiah 2. I planted you out of a, a choice vine, out of a sound and reliable stock. Then how did you turn into this corrupt wild vine? Or Isaiah 5. Just identifying uh, Israel as the vine, then says, Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and the people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done? I went out to look for good grapes, but it only yielded bad grapes. Each one of these images, it's talking about the vine running wild or the vine degenerating or the vine just being empty. And this is what the people of God or the prophets of God say is the people of God. So what might that say to us? Because I really want to be like Jesus, but as I've reflected on it at least this week, we are way, I'm way more like the people of Israel. Like when I see someone that's not following God, doing something, for some reason I just have this desire to be like them and do it. Or... I'm like Peter. I have enough faith to step out of the boat in that story and start going to Jesus, but the moment I take my eyes off him, I start sinking. That's what it means to be Israel, and I think that's more like we are. Jesus says he's the vine. He calls us the branches. The branch can't bear fruit by itself, he says. It must remain in the vine. In fact, he says, that if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll have spiritual results. But apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the only way that we can have a spiritual thing happen in the world is by being connected to Jesus. But I wonder how much we believe that. Like, I think we can do a lot of things without Jesus. I think we can earn a living, go to school, I think we can make friends, we can have above average marriages, we can raise a family, we can be positive, we can be generous. We could even read or study or even talk about the Bible without being connected to Jesus. But nothing of spiritual value will happen without being connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We've got to have the Spirit in us in order to draw us to Christ. The Spirit is the one who connects us with Christ. The Spirit is the one that Jesus says will be with you and in you. It's the Spirit that stirs us to see ourselves as beloved by God and belonging to God's family. It's the Spirit who restores and transforms the world. It's the Spirit that we're offered when we accept these images of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. But when we do that, 
we receive the Holy Spirit's empowerment. It's, it's one of the benefits of being connected to Christ and to his presence, that we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Not the power to do anything we want, but the power to live the life that Jesus wants us to. See, a branch of a vine doesn't have to try really hard to grow. It just does. A branch of the vine doesn't have to try really hard to produce grapes. It just does. And when we are connected to the Holy Spirit, when we really let him come into our lives, when we not only make room for him to stop by, but we actually allow him to move in, then he grows. He moves. He transforms. And when we connect with the Holy Spirit, we powerfully pray to the Spirit. And when we pray to the Spirit, then we pray deeper and more deeply with the Holy Spirit. That's just what happens. So I think we need to remember that Jesus is the source, the vine. We are the growth, the branches. And then God, the Heavenly Father, is the gardener. And we need to ask ourselves or ask the Spirit, what's getting in the way of making room for Christ's presence? Is it that you're just worn out or cranky or too busy? Is it that you're not seeing spiritual results? Is it like me when you hear the accolades of others? It's just like this siren song that kind of woos you away. Or is it this scatteredness that you can't prioritize? But just ask God, even right now, what is getting in the way of making room for Jesus? And as we do that, I think we have to consider the last image that God offers, this image of God being the gardener. Because really, when the story of the Bible starts, it has the first humans meeting and living with God in the garden, And then in John's gospel, when Jesus rises from the dead, the first person to see him is Mary, and she confuses him as the gardener. I don't think this is just coincidence. I think the story that God is trying to tell us has something profoundly to do with what it means to live in the garden and to be a guard for God to be a gardener. See, I've always, always read this as at least John 15, as performance. Like, if I'm not doing what I need to be doing, God's just going to cut me down. And then if I am doing what I need to be doing, he's going to cut me back so I know how far I have to grow. That is a sick and twisted image of God. It's like he's some sinister or careless Edward Scissorhands that's just like... That is not who God is. The more I walk with Jesus and the more I serve his church, the more I realize that God is always, always careful and skillful. God never cuts to harm. He may cut and cause pain, but never to harm. Now, Michael Van Dyken, who's a part of our church, he is an arborist, so he knows a ton about gardens and trees, and so I've talked to him at least for two summers about my apple trees, because the house we live in has these two beautiful Honeycrisp apple trees. I mean, I could never afford to put these in myself, but they're here, and I love it, except they're skinny and short 
and scrawny, and they produce a sad amount of apples. It's, it's really pathetic. And so I've talked to Mike several times about them, and uh, I haven't ever had him come over. And I realized it's because I'm afraid of the pain. Not, not maybe the financial pain, although we could discuss that, but the pain of hearing all the things I'm doing wrong with the trees. Hearing the truth about the trees, that maybe they're in bad soil, maybe they have a bad root system, maybe they're diseased. Or the pain of, if I'm honest, being patient, because I know he's got to cut stuff back. And so, as, as sad as I am about the really, really small amount of apples that come, the thought of him cutting them back so I'd get less for a while before I get more, honestly, keeps me from having him do it. And, I, and that's not just a story about apples. I think some of us view our relationship with God that way. We're afraid of going backwards before we go forwards. We think, we forget that like Mike would be a skillful and careful arborist, that God is this skillful and careful gardener in our lives. He is like Zachary, who puts up his hand and says, come on. He is like that grandparent that has so much energy that gives you a hug the moment you come over and then races you to the kitchen like door jam where all the pencil marks are. Who, who brings out the stick and measures and marks and dates and initials and then smiles at glee at how much you've grown. God is that teacher that made you work harder than you've ever worked, but when you're done, you realize just how much you've learned. That's the picture of who God is. Not some sinister person who's got hacksaws and big scissors to come and chop our lives up but this skillful, careful, loving parent that we can have access to at every moment of every day. When we make room for Christ's presence, we don't just get the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we get the Father's care. The Father's care for us. He lifts up branches that don't bear fruit. It says that he cuts off, but the word can actually mean lifts up. It's, it's all there, it's, and it makes a lot more sense if you just consider, like, he lifts up the branches that don't bear fruit, so they can. And this is what vine dressers do, because they're often in the mud and the weeds, and so then they clean them. So if he lifts up those that don't bear fruit, well, that would make much more sense with the next verse that Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you meaning you are already lifted up because of the word I have spoken to you. So the Father lifts up so the branch can bear fruit. And then the ones that do bear fruit, then he prunes back so they bear more fruit. And if those branches stay connected, they bear much fruit. Well, there's only one verse about being useless, and Jesus actually references it more to himself than to us. This has brought a whole new understanding to me of what it means for me to be connected to God. And I, I just offer it to you as a way that maybe you can look at these verses again. And I could be wrong, and I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. But what is that reason? What is that thing that's getting in the way 
of you really being connected to Jesus all the time and not having to wear some silly cord out of your pocket all day? What would it, one thing that could change in your life that would make this whole expansive place? Because when we make room for Jesus, we still have room for all the other stuff. I think that's what Jesus means, a piece of what Jesus means when he gives us this third benefit to making room for Christ's presence is that we receive this joy, this overflowing joy, this abundant joy, this joy that's complete. The joy that you see in someone, not only as a grandparent who's marking on the wall or in Zachary as he's running across praising God, but this joy that naturally comes up from someone who knows that they're loved by God that they have been gifted with special and unique things, and that he longs to share them with others, that she longs to share them with others. This kind of joy is contagious and is offered to every single one of us. It takes intention to give our attention to Jesus. There's not, there's not a new task management software that we need, although I have some if you want to talk about it. There's not, oh, I just need more hours in the day. Intention to give your attention. So if Jesus was just before you today, right now, what would the look be on his face and what might he say to you? For some of us, we might just need to stop and be still. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. For some of us, it's a moment of the day. Maybe it's a moment in the morning. For others of us, it might be that God needs to have you get off your rear end and go do something. Psalm 37 says, trust the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord and then he'll give us the desires of our heart or the questions of our heart or the longing of our heart, when we delight in him, that's an active thing. For some of us, we'll have to pause. For others of us, we'll have to get moving. But there's no one way that we need to make room for Jesus. As the man comes up, I just want to close this idea with a story that I think, uh, that I think speaks to it. It's the story that I heard on the radio this week of a woman in New York who was hit um, by, uh, I think it was by a bus, and she lost 10 to 12 years of her life in her memory. And she had a 16-year-old or 17-year-old daughter that was a junior in high school that she still thought was two. She'd actually been married once before, and she was remarried and had been remarried to this second husband for the last 10 or 12 years, uh, nine, nine or 10 years, so she had no memory of being married to this man. They had an entire life in New York together, and she still thought her 17-year-old daughter was two. And the doctors are like, well, she's healthy, but we have no way to tell when her memory's coming back or if it's coming back. Now imagine that. What would you do? And they're in New York, one of the busiest cities in the world. So this guy moves his family to Nebraska. They had family in Nebraska. 
They took all of their wedding photos and all of the photos of this daughter growing up. And every day, this woman had to look at those photos, see that her girl had grown up, and rebuild a relationship with her. And every day, that husband showed her the wedding photos and started to date her again. They had space in Nebraska, I mean, physically, literally, but also relationally and spiritually, to make a marriage that was so beautiful that just a few years later, they went and renewed their vows back in New York where they got married. It's not just a great story. I think for some of us, we, we love God, but you got hit by a bus. And for a number of years, you have no memory of how much he loves you. And you're going through the motions and you're looking at pictures, but everything's past tense. Today, no matter where you are with God, he's inviting you. Come on, let's go. And if you've never, ever, ever understood the love of Jesus, he's inviting you. Come on, let's go. How do you need to make room today? Not guilt, just invitation. Lord, I thank you for the pictures that you offer us. Not just through your word, although I thank you for this picture of you being a good gardener, that we are the branches and not the vine. But the pictures of Zachary running and saying, come on, let's go. These pictures of uh, young and less young, experienced people graduating from a piece of their life and growing and going into new places and adventures. God, that no matter where we go, we can go with you. And I pray specifically for those of us who have some amnesia, who have forgotten how much you love and care for us, the life that we built with you or the life that you've built with us. God, I pray that this week and even this moment that you would speak to us, that you would just whisper to us your love and your relationship and your willingness to go to lengths and lengths and lengths that we might know you and love you. Speak to us, God, about, about where we can make room. Give us that picture of who you are that draws us to you. Not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but out of delight and adventure. Speak to us.